Inclusion is really about being included and that you have a right to be there just like everybody else, regardless of how you look or sound or are different from someone else, that it does not impinge on your right to be in a place adding value. But the diversity element, I think, describes differences that are productive, you know, and diversity of thought certainly goes beyond ethnic or demographic differences. It could simply be professional backgrounds, for example, you know, you could have someone who is looking to move into product management and didn't have the opportunity before, but brings great skills that would really lift our product management capability. You know, how do we create opportunities for that? How do we create pathways for that? I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. Welcome to Data Futurology. Today I'm sitting down with a very, very special guest. Uh, it's MJ Lowe from Race. She's the head of data and AI, and I'm really, really excited to spend some time picking your brain. MJ, how are you doing today? Yeah, good, Felipe. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so I wanted to maybe kick, kick off by asking you about your, um, your role and your remit at the moment. Uh, you're in a very exciting organization. Um, it's definitely a big role. So uh, tell us a little bit about that and we can jump from there. Yeah, sure. So I look after data and AI at Reese. Um, you know, I think quite often folks are maybe surprised that Reese has anything to do with data. We're better known for um, you know, being a, a large supplier of plumbing and bathroom supplies. Uh, but as we, we do have really deep and complex business and deep, deep customer relationships. And at the heart of that is what we know about our customers and what we know about how to you know, serve them and help them you know, be successful. So the, the role of data and AI at Reese is really about making that knowledge um, a, a, you know, a tool for our people um, to use and, and um, basically serve our customers better. Um, I look after this, I've been in this role probably 18 months or so, so fairly, fairly new still, and we've been building the team up. Uh, we're very lucky to do a quite, quite a wide variety of things, um, and that ranges from core reporting to analytics uh, to building data products and um, a new enterprise data platform. So there's lots keeping us busy every day. But a lot of this portfolio is really centered on the one proposition, something we're obsessed about, which is how is how is data going to be used to help improve the life of our customers or our people? Um, and so, yeah, it's that's really at the heart of what we do. And I'm very lucky to to be, uh, you know, dealing with all sorts of problems in this space every day. So it sounds like there is um, there's a, a B2B component to the business. There may be a B2C component. Um, and it sounds like there's there's some supply chain, some distribution, um, some retail side. Can you tell us about the um, the size and the components of the business? Um, uh, yeah, I'll do my best. You know, our business is, is very, very complex. Um, you know, it has such rich history. Sometimes I, I don't feel like I can do it justice describing it. But um, we recently celebrated our 100th year anniversary, probably a couple of years ago. Um, and so it's a deep and rich business. Uh, yes, it, we are a large retailer. Um, we have more than 10 business units um, across plumbing, HVAC, civil. Um, there's a lot in it. If I had to boil it down, it we help our customers who do who who, who work in trade. Um, and that can range from plumbing businesses to other areas of trade, like like builders, and that's small to large enterprises. So we have a very deep, um, you know, set of industries that we service. And with that, I think, 
delivering that proposition of being um, customized in our solutions and being a partner to our customers in this space means very many different things. You know, it means that our supply chain has to get customers what they need when they need it. Um, it means that our stores, when a customer walks in, probably has to understand what they need before they ask for it. Um, a lot of our plumbing customers, for instance, are incredibly time poor. And our staff in the network um, who work with these people day in, day out, have an extremely deep understanding of not just um, the business, but the person behind the business. And with that, what it means to help you know deliver a solution at that point in time, it could be a broken pipe, a really simple job, or it could be a commercial scale problem about moving a good, you know, or getting certain supplies out to a rural location on a commercial job. And so I guess the range of problems we deal with is, is as wide as vast ranging as, as they come. Um, and with that delivering personalized service and solutions that truly help our customers also becomes a really complex beast um, at all parts of the supply chain. And now in a digital world where we also service our customers through digi um, digital channels that, that has added a dimension of complexity. Um, so it's great, you know, we have a lot of interesting problems and uh, we've got with that teams that are just curious and very excited to get up and, you know, get the job done every day. I love it. That is great. Um, yeah, so much, so much, um, so much excitement there. So much work and and, and passion. That's fantastic. I wanted yeah. to ask you um, a bit, a bit more about your background. So you did a, you did a PhD in in machine learning and AI uh, with a financial with a financial focus. And then, how did you find it um, transition transitioning from there to industry to then a, a leader in the space? Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> I mean, this this cast my mind back quite a number of years now. I mean, I would say my PhD was in the area of financial econometrics. So at the time, you know, think terms like machine learning and AI weren't commonplace, or at least certainly not within the academic community. A lot of these technologies and, and mathematical methods, if you may call them, they've been developed over you know many decades, um, and so I've always just felt like I was learning, um, but it was a mixture of time and place and an interest, I suppose, that led me from academia to industry and then finding practical problems to solve. The original motivator was really that, you know, when I started academia and was very fortunate to acquire a tool set and interrogating data, interpreting it, you got the luxury of thinking really deeply about a problem and, and thinking through its many layers. And, and that's something that, you know, is hard to find in, in many places. But it was also around the time when finance and some other industries as well, media and marketing, were leveraging um, these emerging technologies um, in the cloud, for instance. So really my interest sort of drew me to how do I apply some of these tools to commercial problems? Um, you know, how do you see the fruits of your labor? And, and so the opportunities came, I think, first in consulting. I spent some time in EY in the actuarial practice for a while. We're doing a lot of mathematical modeling there. But then a diversity of problems started to grow in industry and opportunities would find folk like myself who um, happened to have a skill set, a quantitative skill set, and were interested in solving them. Um, and so as these opportunities came up, you know, I found myself working in media and marketing analytics for a while and then subsequently for a protracted period in data related transformations and building solutions that had data and or machine learning in them to drive change in an organization. And, and so I've been doing that ever since. I think, you know, my interests have grown as the industry has um, evolved with the technologies and very have been just very fortunate to have opportunities show up um, that, you know, were interesting enough to, you know, that I could apply myself to and, and, and find ways to contribute to. Amazing, amazing to um, have such a diverse experience and to bring in the, the transformation components uh, in, in there as well. Um, yeah, I think I think it, it definitely um, are a trait for, for a great leader. So that's that's fantastic. I wanted to um, to ask you about your your passions um, in this in this space. Um, so in if you think about either our our industry um, or or um, 
our, our industry being sort of the, the data analytics and AI or your industry uh, specifically um, uh, where Rhesus or anything in general, what are, what are your passions um, in, in this space? Oh, look, you know, I think it's, you can look at it a few ways because, you know, I've held a few roles that are all a little bit different and different flavor in terms of how analytics and data and the more intelligent technologies were applied. But the common thread through them all is the use of data and intelligent tech to make something better, whether that's making something work faster or whether that's helping a human make a better decision or whether that's building product with some intelligence in it. It's all in service of driving some kind of change. And so I think I discovered this as my roles evolved that the thing that would get me up in the morning is how am I going to help drive something different out of, you know, the stuff that we're building today? <clears throat> and that could have been at a point an optimization engine that we might be building that you know helps with optimizing workforce distribution and, and so the real i think interest there is can we have our workforce working more effectively in the way we're placing people you know can we get them rostered better um, that might be and but that's change in that context equally we could be looking at a customer segmentations for the solution for instance and the change there is are we getting smarter about the way we're having conversations with people because we understand them better and we're, we're meeting a need um, uh, in a more targeted way. And so I think the common thread there and, and the thing I've found over the time has been the biggest reward is in seeing the work change a behavior or decision for the better. And I think the passion and um, sustenance in, you know, keeping up with it is seeing something through what I care a lot about is being able to see something through because a lot of these things don't happen quickly, you know, um, building a model can be quick to prototype or it can be quick to experiment with, um, the research pro, you know, progress uh, process, you know, is one that's quite iterative and fun and, um, quick to start, but really hard to turn into a sustainable solution that you run and operate and continually invest in. Um, and so, to realize a lot of the value of, of the work we do in this space, I think calls for a persistence and a conviction that what you're doing matters and will generate value. And, you know, and that's something that I care a lot about, about doing. Um, it's hard to do in this industry, but it's, it's one that is, that's always there. And I think if we really believe in the work you're doing in data, that it's, it's a cause worth, you know, sticking to. Oh, I, I, I love that the, um, your immediate focus was on, on the impact and on the change, um, and and it's um, yeah, it's it's fantastic to uh, to to hear that. I think I think um, sometimes uh, sometimes we get caught up in the in the problem solving uh, that we can do mm -hmm. in, in isolation. Um, but your yeah, your your focus was uh, from 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 the start immediately on the on the impact and the on the change. Um, what do you think we could do? We could do better uh, on that front on getting getting more impact. Uh, for from our work, mm, I think it's a great question, Felipe. And it's it's I don't know that we have an answer or definitive one, but you know this is some these are some thoughts I guess that I'm discovering along the way. Um, something that is perhaps challenging or maybe a bit different with data, say compared to vanilla software engineering, mm -hmm. is that the value in a data solution, and that can be something as simple as a report that doesn't have maybe machine learning behind it or something a bit more complex that does. The value in it is in is when someone makes a decision and does something differently, hopefully better and, and, and faster, right? And whether that's, you know, a, a better targeted customer or a, a more intelligent recommendation in a, project, in a product, that's, the value is in the decision. Um, that is really hard to get right the first time. Because before we have built that solution, we don't know what decisions are going to look like. Um, and the same data in the hands of two different people can lead to different decisions. You know, we take, yes. if we consider, say, the pandemic we've all been living through the past two, three years now, the, the countries had access to the same health data and each had a very different response. Uh, now, without casting any judgment at all as to which is right or wrong or which is better. I think it's just to show the point that 
you can have the same information, but still have very different outcomes uh, with that. So then I guess proving out value, given that sort of uncertainty over the life cycle of data is a tricky one. There's not, it's not a linear path. And, and so I think something that helped, um, certainly teams I've worked in, is to take a you know fail fast sort of approach um, to measuring value, proving out value, and and constantly checking um, and adapting if we need to you know and it, this is it's a combination of working backwards from an end state, but also having the discipline to periodically check if it is delivering value. Quite often, you know, we get asked questions like can we build a smart AI thing into one of our digital products? Mm -hmm. And the answer actually is maybe we need to ask that question a bit differently, which is if we were to build a very smart thing into our digital products, what does that do for our customer? Is that gonna change how they, is that gonna make something better? Is, are they gonna find what they need faster um, or are they gonna get a delivery out to where they are faster? Whatever that might be, let's work backwards from what a great outcome we think might look like. Let's make a plan for that, but let's also be prepared along the way for to be surprised that what we thought would work wouldn't work. You know, um, we're working on a recommender service at the moment in our team. <laughs> Without giving too much away, we went in with a few hypotheses about how customers might respond to that and how it might actually uplift, you know, the ability to find the product or to locate one that suited their needs. And not all experiments have come back with what we thought yeah. it, it would. You know, certain features in the way we designed it, we thought would, would go great. And there was just no product market fit on that. And so there is an element of working backwards, but there is also a discipline of, as you move forward, adapting through it. And that, I think, ability to do that and the discipline to accept that a failed experiment mm -hmm. is as valuable, if not more valuable than a winning experiment, I think is something that, We've certainly found beneficial here at Reese, and I've certainly found beneficial in the teams I've worked with previously. Um, and yeah, I know if anyone else can benefit from that, I'd, you know, I'd love to hear. Yeah, I'd love to see that more in our industry. Definitely, uh, I love I love that approach. Start with a uh, with a problem, uh, a business problem, or something that we want to improve, something that we know that our customers care about, and work backwards to see if AI is needed. And if so, what what it would do? Um, that's that's great. And then um, doing uh, different hypothesis testing to see what customers really uh, really want. Because sometimes what people say and what they what they want is uh, slightly different. And uh, this is the the only way to find it. So I really really like your that approach. Um, and great. so I wanted to maybe take a take a step back as a, as an industry. And or, or look look at a at a whole of industry, and I wanted to ask you about how we are going uh, on on diversity and on inclusion. Um, mm -hmm. I know that the, these are areas that you know we, we've uh, you and I have spoken about before. We're, we're passionate about this space, and I've, I always really value your your perspectives on this. Um, so I'm keen I'm keen for us to spend a little bit of time diving into that. Um, yeah. What how how do you think how do you think we're we're going? <laughs> That's a huge question, Felipe. I like your style. Um, look, I think there's never been a time, certainly in my professional life anyway, um, that it's been spoken about with the attention and the care, I think, that the industry has, has paid to the topic. Um, you know, I think I cast my mind back 10, 20 years when I was earlier on in my career, and this wasn't a topic. Mm. Um, it was implicit. I think people had views and um, opinions, but it wasn't something you'd speak freely about. And now it is something that organizations and individuals alike are paying attention to, you know, how do we improve diversity in workforces? Um, implicit in a lot of what's discussed, um, I think, is the idea that, you know, more diverse workforces, and particularly in data and technology, it leads to better outcomes, better outcomes for the customer, um, better outcomes for business. That's the underlying assumption. And I think hats off to the industry for, you know, recognizing that and drawing awareness to it and, you know, creating momentum behind the discussions. I do think the work is, is never finished. Um, and in 
in some ways, you know, we are at a point in time currently where we talk about it and we actively um, have see initiatives in organizations to improve um, things like gender mix or ethnic mix in their teams, so to speak. But for me, I think diversity is a bit broader than that. Uh, diversity can be on any element really that, that makes us similar or different. Um, and, and the common ones are those that I've just mentioned, but this, it goes beyond that. So how do we go past talking about certain heuristics, I think, and just look for the qualities that make for a diverse workforce? Um, uh, so that we focused a lot on that, I think, in the teams that I've been in, where, yes, you know, we recognize that they, we get behind movements and we get behind initiatives that um, are quite focused on certain kinds of diversity. Um, we've just celebrated Idol Hobbit Day here at Reese. Nice. It was a wonderful day for the community to get together. Very um, nice. Months ago, you know, we were involved in um, International Women's Day as well. I think you and I had a conversation around that time too. Um, but how do we make those sorts of initiatives and events just what we do? Um, how do we find diverse workforces by way of thinking, by way of preferences, attitudes, but with shared values? Mm. Um, and I think in that respect, we have some work to do. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate at Reese that we talk quite openly about the fact that we may not be as balanced across certain dimensions as we want to be, but we are working at it. And being able to talk freely about that and empower a workforce to recognize the problems we want to work on is, I think, really powerful. Um, and so while I might not be in the majority of certain groups here, I've never once felt excluded. You know, and that that to me is at the heart of diversity and inclusion, where you know you don't it's not a thing. Um, you wake up and you are just one of a team doing great work together. So I think, yeah, we've got some work to do there where I think we've progressed into being able as a community and as an industry to talk about these topics and to actively raise awareness um, and drive change in certain areas. I'd love to see us be able to move past that and not have to rely on as heavily on, you know, loud messages, I suppose, um, where diverse workforces are just part of what we do. Yeah, yeah, that is great. So, um, so it sounds like, and tell me, tell me where, um, or expand on this, or, or tell me, tell me where I'm, I'm paraphrasing incorrectly. Um, but it sounds like for for inclusion, uh, a good a good summary is around how people feel in um, the groups that they work in, and whether they feel like they can speak up or contribute, or whether they're they're comfortable um, in in doing that. Um, and then on on diversity, I like your your perspective of of in, going beyond diversity or demographical diversity and mm. expanding to um, intellectual diversity, so diversity of thought, diversity of attitude, um, and that having the the values, I guess, the professional values and the personal values of people as as the bit that ties it together. Um, yeah. Is that, is that how you see both both sides of, of um, in terms of inclusion and diversity? Yeah, Felipe, this is a great summary of, uh, uh, of the thinking. Yeah, um, you know, inclusion is really about being included and that you have a right to be there just like everybody else, regardless of how you look or sound or are different from someone else, that it does not impinge on your right to be in a place adding value. But the diversity element, I think, describes differences that are productive, you know, and diversity of thought certainly goes beyond ethnic or demographic differences. It could simply be professional backgrounds, for example, you know, you could have someone who is looking to move into product management and didn't have the opportunity before, but brings great skills that would really lift our product management capability, for example. You know, how do we create opportunities for that? How do we create pathways for that? You know, if you if you were building a team, for example. So I think it goes beyond what's seen um, and a lot more into the intangible um, when we think about diversity here at Reese and, and, and certainly in my team. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, and could, could you um, could you share with us some of the uh, some of the 
blind spots that you may have noticed that people have when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Um, I know that, and and like, and and I know that that often people do that with with good intentions. And I know that it, for myself in my career, like I've made blunders in this space where I've had like nothing but the the best intent, um, and but have really like stuck my foot in it. Um, and, and, and luckily, like I was able to have follow up conversations to, to help me remove some of those blind spots. And sometimes, at least for me, it was like um, I, was, I was looking for optimization and time efficiency um, on something that I could have collaborated better, where I could have consulted uh, more broadly. And that if, if I took literally like a tiny amount of more time up front, the end result would have been so much better. Um, and, and I didn't see that as a, as a, as, as a blind spot in diversity and inclusion. Um, so I always value removing some of those blind spots, uh, for, for people. So if you could share, could you share some, some of the blind spots that you've seen from, from your, from your career? Oh gosh, I think with Felipe, you might be hard on yourself. I think we've all found ourselves in, you know, some of the situations where you said something that certainly wasn't intended to come off a certain way, but might have, and then you kind of question it post hoc, or you know, people have, you know, I think we've all been been there. I, I wouldn't say I'm qualified in this space because I think what what one is blind to or not is is relative. Mm -hmm. You know what what is, um, you know what what hurts is relative. What someone takes with them or how someone receives something is relative. To, and and seen through the lens of their their own experience. So I don't know that we can classify things or call out really like you know it's not a i wouldn't take a rules-based approach to it yes. no less but i think you know a lot of what colors you know lenses or colors or the biases that we may sort of bring into a situation really is a function of the environments we we grew up in mm. and, and so i am from singapore i grew up in singapore and came to australia almost 20 years ago um i grew up in a society where we had very many ethnic um, groups in 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 school, uh, really just in the community. You know, we had all sorts of people from various different backgrounds. It was a very multiracial society, and people spoke, you know, about each other's backgrounds like it was a common thing. There were jokes. You know, kids used to joke about things. They used to make references to someone else's ethnic background, and that was this societal norm there. A blind spot for me when I migrated in my adult life was learning societal norms that were different to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having to develop um, an empathy for what is and isn't okay to say, because while I may not have intended it that way, it certainly comes off differently, um, you know, in, in this new society. And so I think that, you know, would have been a blind spot related to where I come from. Um, and I think, you know, that might play out differently for folks who, you know, have also, you know, migrated between countries and moved between different cultures. So certainly cultural nuances is probably an area that you know, I've learned over time and being very lucky to be in Melbourne. It is a melting pot of cultures here and I love it here. And I think we are the better for it, developing that empathy. So that's probably one area. I think um, another area, too, is... Oh, on issues of, you know, age or within certain industries, gender, those things come up too. There are stereotypes um, and blind spots that relate to a stereotype within a certain area. Um, you know, at least we are a trade business. Uh, we are proudly a trade business. It is loud. Um, it is characterized by certain heuristics. And one has to be careful not to assume a whole bunch of other things that come with it. So, you know, these are other areas that, again, are against the backdrop of um, the environment one is in. Um, and so this, you know, second example is more work setting and the industry that, you know, I belong to. But again, you know, in working with tradespeople, we have to be thoughtful about what is meaningful to them and, and how to uh, make things simple and meaningful within one within this space where it might not be in another uh, in the way we communicate and engage with our customers and our colleagues so there's there's quite a few i guess different ways to cut it but i think it comes down to the context of the environment and you know what has always been helpful i think is 
being open and trying to always be quite empathetic um, and open to the idea that there are new people who would be different in a different way um, to learn about, you know, um, and so that's that's been a continuous learning journey and, and continues to be. Yeah, that is that is great. I um I love your approach uh, of of being um, you know open minded, assuming the best, um, and and looking for ways to to connect and collaborate and and to help and encourage people to, to contribute. Uh, and making sure obviously that that you you do that for yourself too in that in that journey. That's um, that's a that's a really fantastic approach. Oh, thank you. I think it's been very lucky to have worked in many teams with that themselves have been very diverse and different. And so, you know, been very lucky to have had people invest in this journey um, and to learn from. Um, and, and so that's that's a thing that I think we're very lucky here in Australia and certainly working in tech and data where the community always has something to offer, you know, not and not always in the technical sense too, you know, how you relate with one another. It's a very diverse, a very rich community to be a part of. So yeah, we're, we're very fortunate. Ah, I love it. Um, so just to uh, to switch switch gears a little bit, I, um, I wanted to ask you about some of your frustrations. Uh, so frustrations <laughs> that you have in, um, in, in say in our industry, in, um, anywhere, but it can be how the work gets done or on the technology or how um, it's uh, operationalized or how we're perceived by executives or how any, any sort of um, frustrations that, that might, might grind you of, um, of what, how we, um, yeah, in, in our industry. Oh gosh, look, it's, it's a challenging industry to be in data and technology. I wouldn't call these frustrations, you know, in, in a real negative sense. There, there are real challenges in, as, as every industry does. But I think a couple of things are, are unique to data and, and AI in particular. Um, one sort of ties in with what I was earlier mentioning about seeing things through. Mm. The value of data is not easily seen. Um, data is hard, it's complex, it's expensive. It's expensive because a decision maker is usually very far away from how something is built. You know, the chief customer officer, for example, almost will never make a decision about um, whether to build an app with a free text field to collect customer feedback or to or with a drop-down list. But the chief customer officer will care if it was built in a free text field that they later need a machine learning team to decipher through all the data that comes back to get an understanding of customer sentiment, right? So small decisions can become really consequential later on. Mm. Um, so it is expensive, it is complex and, and hard to then prove the value on because usually the time periods between now and later are long and you don't always live to see the end result of a choice made, you know, much earlier. So it, it can be challenging because it makes things like what to invest in uh, really hard. You know, do we choose the short-term POC over adding to the kitty for a long-term machine learning investment? What do we choose? You know, the short-term thing is always going to feel more appealing, but we know it almost always brings tech debt with it. Um, and, and so that that is, I think, something that's always been difficult working in data and data-related transformations. That choice, that, that those really hard choices around investments and the uncertainty around what's going to pay off, that probably is an area um, of difficulty we continue to work through as an industry. Um, and I think related to that is that accountability over those horizons is also really hard to measure. You know, the people who started a transformation normally don't stick around long enough to see the end result and new people get on the bus or come on the journey and decisions change. So the short-term horizon of a lot of investments leads to probably much longer journeys than organizations might want to be on uh, when it comes to data and transformations. So, you know, these are very real challenges. Um, 
and can be frustrating, I suppose. You know, if you're in one of those conversations trying to make an investment case for something you know is right, but is hard to get behind right now. Um, but that's where that's also what makes this work very rewarding too, because when you can see it through <laughs> and when you can find ways to prove out value in it and find that balance between a short-term value drop and a longer-term commitment, um, there's no feeling like it. I think, um, you know, we just in the last month wrapped up a project here. I can't talk too much about it other than it was about an eight month long project working with data for, you know, to help tailor some of the conversations that we're having with our customers. And it's a project that's been a long time coming. There's been many goals at it, many failures because, you know, we couldn't get the data to into the state that it needed to be. Um, and we had to really rethink the program of work, how to restructure that into a series of experiments, but also delivery disciplines around it to actually move um, through the milestones. And I think the day we put the tool built into the hands of some of our frontline staff who said, you know, I'm going to go sell a product with this. <laughs> There's no feeling like that. <laughs> so it can be done, but it is it is a journey and, and, and a hard march at times. But but you know, with that comes great reward. That's that's amazing. Um, ah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. That that is uh, that is very very inspiring. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I also I also noticed um, in in our in our conversation that some we we often mention uh, data and technology together, and sometimes we mention them separately. Um, I know that sometimes yeah. uh, data teams sit within the, the technology space, um, and sometimes they don't. How do you see them? Um, where do you see that they're similar and different? And what's what's the perspective that you take uh, between the two? Oh, that's such a great question. and such a big one to believe. <laughs> you know, and I think the, the truth is it, it depends. You know, you kind of ask different people this, and, you know, you see that in different organizations as well. Um, to me, I think data and technology are very related areas of work, but have some distinctions. Um, you can't serve up scaled solutions without technology, certainly not scaled data solutions. What I mean is without technology, you know, we, we have the luxury of cloud um, technologies, uh, distributed compute. Uh, and so they are complementarian in that respect. Um, and the technical aspects of architecting a system really to bring with an effective um, technical architecture for delivering data, you know, requires both deep software engineering skills, for example, as well as a deep understanding of information, how you manage it through its life cycle, which in and of itself, um, it's its own discipline. So there are some areas where I guess data is a field um, that involves the management and use of information is very tightly coupled with technology fields like software engineering or, or, or infrastructure. You know, they're very, very tightly coupled in that regard. Where I think data as an area is not the same as technology, if technology were to be described in software and infrastructure, is that is where you can focus a lot building software that performs tasks or enables humans to perform tasks. And the value of that software is when those tasks are optimized. You know, so for example, an ERP system, um, we have custom ERP system here at Reese. Um, we've got a brilliant team that looks after it. Everything that is in our ERP is optimized for the tasks our people need to perform to facilitate transactions. Mm. Those are known tasks. Um, those are very thoughtfully uh, crafted over years, but those are known tasks. Where data is different is that the value of a data intensive solution, yes, that is built on top of technology. The value of that solution though is in the insight. Mm. And so where you might be able to call a piece of software done and doing well when its known tasks are performed well, you call a data solution a good one or high value one when insight has been extracted and applied to a decision. And those are far less predictable to do than tasks. 
Um, and user feedback on insight is far less reliable than user feedback on software tasks. If a user tells us, I don't like this front end interface because I hate the purple color in that button, they are likely to stick to that over time. <laughs> but in data, when you're building a solution for a user, they might early on say, you know, I want to be able to look at these metrics and drill into them. And once you've built it, change their mind because they've realized in use, that's not exactly how they would apply themselves to it. So I would say the difference here then with data is that it's got a second layer of complexity on top of um, task-oriented technologies and, and therefore facilitating programs of work that involve delivering value through data requires some extra thought you know, um, in putting together, how do you start that? What the kind of expertise is for delivering that? The change and enablement aspects of that and the lifecycle management of those programs, that all just plays out a bit differently um, when there's a lot of data in the mix. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting question though. And, you know, I think as technologies evolve in this space, so will, you know, the parts that converge and diverge between the two. Yeah, but I really like that perspective of um, looking at the task and the decisions. And, and it's so true that um, in, the, in the analytics space, the people will change their mind uh, often as, as they see the work coming through. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a very, it often feels like a very expensive and exploratory space. Um, yeah. And then hopefully we're getting to a point where we say, great, now this is something that needs to be done at scale, then it needs to be um, move more into, into a tech space uh, once the, the exploration component has, um, has taken part. So that's, uh, yeah. that's really nice. I think that's a really nice way of summing it up, Felipe. I think you make a really great point too in, in that there is two speeds, you know, and it's not to say that that cycle of changing your mind, so to speak, is a bad thing. That's mm. part of the learning process. Um, and getting to a successful outcome requires a learning process in, in many instances. So I think the art is in at what point have we learned enough that's of value to productionize. And, you know, I think someone once said, you know, don't go for perfection, go for good enough mm. and add to that, you know. And so I think the journey with data is very much that way in that allowing for some degree of iteration, but wrapping around it the discipline to go, that's got enough value, let's make it available to people. And then let's go on that journey all over again um, is, is something that's you know a really great way to be able to work in data, realize value um, in a really, I guess, atelic way. The job is never quite done. And that's, that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, ah, that's great. Thank you. Um, since you've uh, worked in, in transformations, I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about the, how you see the differences when it comes to cloud migrations. Uh, there is a you know, big, big transformation that a lot of organizations are, are doing or, or starting. Um, and how do you see the differences between a system like an ERP that you mentioned and a, and, and a, and a data system like a data warehouse? What do you see the, the commonalities and the differences when we look at a transformation and, and particularly a, a, cloud, a cloud migration? Oh, I mean, that's a really low. You got my work cut out for me today, haven't you? <laughs> it's um, looked at the similarity and differences. It's what you make of it, you know, the transformation, again, it's, it's such a broad term, but usually what organizations are looking for is that the way things work and the way teams work and communicate is different enough that it generates more value than previously, right? So if we were to anchor on that as a definition for transformation, then, you know, the role of cloud versus the role of things like migrations, perhaps is about where they fit um, in that system. And so if we were to say, you know, we're looking at an organization like Recent, in many respects, part of our DNA has always been transformation. You know, we didn't wake up one day and say, we're gonna transform and, and here we go. <laughs> it's in the organizational DNA to improve the lives of our people and customers every day. That's something that's been loud and proud here at Reese every day. So. For us, transformation is almost just part of how we plan to do things. 
Um, people expect process improvements. People expect um, tech improvements. You know, we've got continuous improvements teams. We've got continuous uplift rhythms. And we've got the bigger projects like migrations that form a part of that overarching, you know, change. And then we've got, you know, programs of work that are that have the word transformation attached to it, but more, more to do with the horizon and the size of it. Um, but the intent is much the same. Um, and so some of our cloud work would probably fall into that big transformation agenda, if we would describe it that way. But its nature, which is to enable teams to be able to do things better, faster, at greater scale for our customers, is of the same intent as you know, um, a, a, a database migration. Um, we would be performing migrations in the same spirit, but probably actually executing on that um, to a different rhythm, so to speak. So certainly in our context, the two have similar intent and just look very different in its execution. Um, I think casting my mind back though to kind of other organizations, when I was a consultant kind of working with very many different Australian organizations. Um, some, some of these were, were very project specific and that, that's where you might see very real differences. You know, so there would be programs of work that I'd be engaged in that was very, very targeted at a problem. Um, it, could be, it could have been a, a, a banking problem, for example, where we are looking to um, really modernize a system. Um, and that was you know, a transformation from a modernization perspective where cloud in that setting um, had a very different flavor to simply migrating a, a database or doing an ERP system migration. Equally, we could have been doing um, a piece of cloud work at a different retailer from a marketing perspective. And again, that cloud work might not really have been a transformation, transformation, but more like a project where we were uplifting a particular capability um, to add value to existing processes. So I do think the similarity and differences between cloud programs, or if you like, versus, you know, some of the more um, commonly heard of perhaps pieces like migrations does come down to the organizational strategy and, and what these programs of work actually serve in that yeah. strategy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes complete sense. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, what are your thoughts from from um, from your travels as well? Because you've worked in this space a great deal too. So I'm always curious. It feels like um, an, an ever-evolving comparison. It is, isn't it? Um, and and it's um, so a lot of times in my career, I've been in I've been in organizations who um, that are looking to move to the cloud, and 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 sometimes they have their um, sometimes rightly or wrongly, and and um, Sometimes they have their strategy defined as we will move to the cloud, um, yeah. which which like doesn't as as we spoke before like it doesn't focus on the on the business problem or on the customer and what they want to do. Um, and in those cases, it does feel quite rudderless uh, in terms yeah. of the the work. And sometimes it can be quite quite big pieces of work. And in those um, in those cases, my preference is to do a cloud adoption basically mm. one use case at a time. So very, yeah. very um, small and, and set up some, some infrastructure, ideally sort of end-to-end, -end, something very light and, mm. and take on, yeah, just one use case at a time and start putting kind of like one, one brick at a time. Um, mm. if, if people are not, um, if people are not um, confident or it's not a, a clear strategy, um, or, or if it's yeah, start a start of a process like I that's that's definitely uh, 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 at least what I've seen a, a good approach. Um, mm. But when when you do have a a clear point that you uh, a clear pain point that you want to solve, a clear customer value, and you um, and you have some some good planning and some experience on what the the cloud can do for you, then mm. it's you can take much more ambitious bets and they're usually ones that take uh, longer to to build for you to make a, a big transformation in a in a space and yeah. like those those um those pay off when they're when they're done done well um, yeah. but I think that that's that's one of the 
at least from what I've seen, that's one of the big differences um, that sometimes it can feel um, it can feel like people. Oh, this is this is uh, this is kind of like I don't know if it's too cynical or if it sounds too terrible, um, but sometimes it feels like it's going through the motions in terms of uh, we just we're gonna start using cloud and then cloud will fix everything and we'll figure out what to do exactly with it down the road. Um, yep. So yeah, if that's the case, make it um, small and incremental. But if we're if we're putting a stake. Uh, on the ground on something that we want to focus on and we want to build to it and we know the benefits the clear benefits that that we're chasing then mm. then i'm all for a bigger program to work and, and a bigger and a more ambitious transformation because the clarity of the outcome is there and we can we can measure progress towards that um in a way that that yeah that delivers value so yeah that's a great point and, and like yeah i agree you know it feels like the when you've got a larger program of work it's really um, a, a huge task in uncertainty reduction around what value there is there actually is in that work how are we tracking it and how do we know we are keeping staying staying the course on then so yeah that's certainly what we've seen here as well with some of the larger programs of work it just requires a different set of execution disciplines to to hold ourselves accountable um, to making sure that those investments are, you know, reaping benefits um, and at a rate that is practical too. So, yeah, it's a really interesting space, definitely. I um, I have to say, um, oh, I know I know we're almost out of time. I might um, um, yeah, no, I have to say, I <laughs> I really really enjoy um, picking your brain, speaking with you. I think. Uh, I think that you're such a fantastic leader. I really, um, I love that the fact that you're such a deep thinker. You're so thoughtful about the the key issues in our in our industry and and how we execute our work. And you have such unique perspectives um, to um, to what we do. Uh, and I definitely I learn a lot from every time we um, we speak. So thank you so much for taking the time today to to share your your perspectives with us um oh it's always a pleasure oh thank you for having me felipe and, and you know similar thoughts similar sentiments to always enjoy our thoughts and i'm um, looking forward to sharing many more stories and, and swapping many more experiences thanks for having me i love it thank you so much that brings this episode to conclusion thank you so much for listening please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.